wanted, dead and alive. And, and we are going to be all over the New Testament this evening, so just uh, be ready for that. But we're going to start out in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It's a scripture you're familiar with. Uh, we hear it quoted quite often. And uh, I want to uh, use it as the primary text, and then we're going to use a lot of other scriptures also. I'm reading out of the NIV. You may have a different translation. A lot of what I'll be reading tonight will be from the uh, New Living Translation uh, for some clarification. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Living sacrifices. Uh, For years, I mean, I'd read that phrase, living sacrifice, and it seemed like an oxymoron to me. Uh, I always associate sacrifices, something that, you you know, they offered the sacrifice, they killed this, this animal. God wanted us to be a living sacrifice. And and so living sacrifice seems like an oxymoron, kind of like jumbo shrimp, uh, (laughs) military intelligence or government intelligence, uh, cruel kindness, you know. They just, how can a sacrifice be living? And, And the two just seem incongruous, yet that is what we're called to be. And we are called to be both dead and alive, dead and alive. God doesn't want us to be a dead offering. He wants us to be a living offering. Yet there are some things that we are to be dead to, but one of them certainly isn't to be dead to Christ or to the life that Christ gives to us. Now we are to consider ourselves, according to the scripture, dead with Christ, but not dead to Christ. There is a difference. If we consider ourselves dead with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ, according to Romans 6 and 8. So what I want to attempt to do over the next 20, 30 minutes is is cover what the Christian is dead to. Uh, and if and I don't think there'll be time, but if there was time tonight, I would cover what the Christian is alive to. But if it's not time tonight, then we'll do it next week. But let's talk about. And one of the reasons I have a hard time judging times and stuff is because I'm used to te- I teach Sunday school, and I just start teaching. And if I, you know, if, those that are in my class know that I might have a lesson, but it may take us three weeks to get through that lesson. So that's kind of why I like that. But let's talk about what the Christian should be dead to. Uh, The first thing that the Christian should be dead to is the world. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. And I want to read a scripture there. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. You can follow in the King James, or I think it's going to be the NIV up here on the screen. But the Christian is to be dead to the world. And here's what it says. Paul, Paul, writing to the Galatians, he says in Galatians 6, 14, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us can learn something from that, about not boasting about anything. I can learn something from that, 
about not boasting about anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And then I love the second part. And the world's interest in me has also died. Where is your interest when it comes to the world? What does it mean to have our interest in the world crucified and the world's interest in us dead? Well, the Greek word used for world is, is, is uh, cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. And, the, and it simply means the present condition of, hum, of human affairs in alienation from and opposition to God. Now, let me read, uh, I want to just three quick scriptures. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, We have not received the spirit of the world. Okay, we've not received the spirit of the condition of human affairs. We've not received the spirit that is in alienation to and from God. But the spirit who is from God, that we, that's the spirit we've received, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verse 3. He says, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. There was a time that we were in this world. And on over Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. In general, believers have died. If you believe in Christ, if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have died to the spiritual association with the world and to that which pertains to the unregenerate part of man and state of man. Colossians 3.3 goes on and says, if you died to this life, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. He said, you have died to this world, to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So being dead to the world simply means that we have no interest in the affairs of this world system, especially when those systems and those affairs are opposed to God. Um, I get a little bit uh, put out with myself when I find myself unnecessarily being tied up to the things and the systems and, and, the, and the ways of the world. And I'm not talking about sinful and, and bad things. I'm talking about things that we just have to live with. I'm talking about political and governmental and social and those kinds of things. I get tied up sometimes to the affairs of the world. And the scripture tells us that we are, that there are, Paul said, 
that my interest in this world has been crucified. It's been killed. It was nailed to the cross. And the world's interest in me has also died because I don't show any interest in the world. The world doesn't show any interest in me is what he's saying. The world is full of concerns that are neither good nor evil. They're just concerns. They're just affairs. They're just things. But as believers, we don't need to concern ourselves with them simply because they detract us from the real life in Christ. We can get so caught up in the affairs of the world that we lose our connection and understanding and and it detracts us from Christ. The scripture said, and one of the scriptures I read said that we don't have the spirit of the world, but rather the spirit of God there in 1 Corinthians 2, 12. He says, you don't have the spirit of the world. You have the spirit of God. Do you know why you have the spirit of God? Because God, the creator of the universe, breathed into man his spirit and his life. Amazing thing when you stop and think about it. And next week, I'm going to go into great detail about why man and not rocks? Why man and not the plants? Why man and not the animals? Man became God's highest creation. Okay? So God breathed into man this life. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That word breath is also translated spirit sometimes in the Old Testament. So God breathed his spirit and his breath and his life into man. He gave us his life. Job Says Job 27, 3, all the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Why? Because God's spirit is in you. You are dead to this world's spirit. God's spirit is in you and you're dead to the world's spirit. You've been cruci- excuse me, crucified to the world. So one thing that the Christians are dead to is the world, the system. Uh, and so we, we, we can't allow ourselves to be entangled with the affairs of this world. There are more important things that the Christian, the believer, has to do than be entangled with the affairs of this world. Okay? The second thing that uh, the Christian is dead to is, is, I would consider it an obvious one, and that is they're dead to sin. Romans chapter 6, read verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase or so that grace could abound? He said, shall we go on sinning? Verse 2. I think in the King James it says, God forbid. You know, don't do that. And the NIV says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? As a Christian, you died to sin. So you can't live in it any longer. Now, as believers, we've spiritually died to this sin. We have died to sin because our identification 
because of our identification with the death of Christ. Romans 6, 8 says, And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. You see, we cannot continue to live in something that we have died to. You can't continue to live with something that you have died to. Because we are dead to sin, sin no longer has any power over our lives. Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, I kind of liken it to uh, somebody who's... uh, it's a kind of a crude analogy, but if let's say I've let's say I, I've done something wrong, and somebody who is of some power and influence knows this, and they find out about it, and they come to me and they say, "Hey, look, I know what you did. You know, it's, it's like the bully on the playground. You're going to have to give me a hundred dollars a month to keep to keep silent, and not tell everybody." And so, okay, here's $100. And I don't want anybody to know this. You know, I give them the $100. Next month comes along, same thing happens. This goes on for years. And I'm slave to this guy giving him money. When he dies, I'm free. I don't have to mess with it anymore. He can't tell anybody or do nothing. Okay, we have been, we have died to sin Okay, Uh, sin no longer has power over our lives because God's word declares we are dead to sin. I'm going to read selected verses here. It's going to be like Romans 6, 2, and I'm going to skip around because I don't want to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read 6, uh, 2, and then 7 and 8 and 11 and 13. How shall we, and this is from the King James, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 8, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Skip down to verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Skip down to verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that, I love this phrase, are alive from the dead. Okay? You are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This is that living sacrifice. You are alive from the dead. So, As a Christian, we are dead to the world system, the interests of the world. What the world's interested in, we don't need to be interested in. We've crucified that. As a Christian, we are dead to sin. And there's no reason for sin to have power over our lives. The third thing is, we are dead to the old man, the old sinful self. I read verse 6 already of Romans 6. I'll read it again. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, 
so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You see, when we accept Christ's sacrifice, his atoning work on the cross, our old self, the old man, was crucified with him. I know it's, it's, I want you to think just for a minute with me. And, and we think about the cross, we think of Christ's suffering and everything going to the cross. But I, but I want you to understand this. When Christ, when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus died on that cross. He died. He quit breathing. Okay? He was not alive on that cross. He quit breathing. He ceased being alive. That atoning work for for our sin caused us also to be crucified with Christ. Catch this. When Jesus died, our old man died. Now I'm talking about your dad or your husband, (laughs) as they used to say when I was a kid. The old nature, the old self died. When Jesus quit breathing, the old nature quit breathing. When Jesus ceased to be alive, our old man and old sinful nature ceased to be alive. And when sin died, it lost its power in your life. So here's my advice for for me and for you. Quit giving life to something that is dead. Okay? We need to quit saying, giving life back to something that God says, it's dead in your life. It's dead. Stop giving it life. Now, not just the, um, the world and, the, and sin and the old man, the old sinful self, but also... The Christian is dead to the flesh. Now turn over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. It says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us... I'm sorry, that's 25. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We are dead to the flesh because we have crucified the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and they have crucified them there. They are dead. This is my advice to you. My advice to me. Stop trying to bring dead flesh back to life. It's been crucified. It's done. It's dead. And the last thing that I want to share with you tonight, and this is a little bit lengthy, is that the, the, the Christian not only is dead to the world, to sin, to the old man, the old sinful nature, and the flesh, he is dead to the law. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. He said, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. 
I have, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is saying here is that when I, he's saying this, he said, when I, Paul, tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements. Why? So that I could live to Christ, to God, live for God. Paul realized that he couldn't live good enough and follow the law close enough to be acceptable to God. He had to die to the letter of the law so that he could live for God. Now, Paul says that he, God, has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Believers have spiritually died to the law as a means of life. We now have the spirit of God as our life. Now I'm going to read two lengthy passages of scripture, not lengthy, but two chunks of scripture. One's found in uh, Romans chapter 7. And it's going to be verses 4 through 6. You can mark that. Romans 7, 4 through 6. And the other is in 2 Corinthians 3. And it's going to be about 11 or 12 verses beginning with verse 7 through the rest of that chapter, I think, 18. When I read this last one, the the 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, I've read it, I don't know how many times we've, you know, I've taught it a dozen times probably. But I don't know, something spoke to me with that passage. And I want to share it with you in just a minute. So here's what Paul says in in Romans 7, 4 through 6. I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, you died with him you died to the law. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, listen to this, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living by the spirit. Praise God. I'm so happy. (laughs) I'm so happy. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. Now, so what does this law represent? Well, I believe the law represents uh, nine things. I just had them bulleted. I didn't have them numbered. And they're all found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
verses 7 through 18. I'm going to read this to you, and, and I, I don't know. I'm going to read it the way that God spoke it to me. And so I'll be reading it uh, with, uh, with emotion. I may even cry. I don't know. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. Paul says this. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. You know the story. I mean, Moses couldn't look at God. God said, I'm going to come by. I'm going to tap you on the shoulder, but you're going to turn your head until I go by and let you know. Then you can turn around. You can't look at me. I'm too glorious for you, Moses. And then Moses, after he comes down with the tablets, the, the law etched in stone, and the people, Moses, we can't look at you. You're, you know, you're shining. You're just this glory all over you. That Moses had to put a veil over his face before he could even talk to the people. So Paul says, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, but catch this, even though the brightness was already fading away. It didn't last. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. It's not by the letter of the law, folks. It's by the Holy Spirit that we have life. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way the way of the cross, the way of Christ, the way of the Holy Spirit. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We, are, we can come before the throne of God boldly now. We don't have to be veiled and hidden and cowering and all that. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. There's only one way for that veil to be removed and that is through believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But when someone turns to the Lord, hallelujah, the veil is taken away. Praise God. The veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. So all of us who have had that veil removed 
can see, oh, this is great, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Every day, every day, we should become more and more and more and more and more like Christ. Right up until that glorious day when we will see him and then we will be like him because we will see him as he is, is what John says in 1 John 3, 2. So what does the law represent? Well, it represents the old way. The law represents death. And the law represents the fading. Don't misunderstand me on this. I want you to hear me all the way through. It, 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 it represents the fading glory of God in man. Okay? I mean, it said that, that though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. It doesn't have to fade away now, folks, because we reflect the glory of God. You reflect the glory of God. It's not something that should fade away. It's something that should grow more glorious every day. The the law represented that old way, death. It represented the fading glory of God in man. It represented condemnation. And it represented a temporary glory because this new glory, this new way, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? The law wasn't forever. The law also represented an unapproachable God. Look at verse, let's read verse 12 and 13 again. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face. I'm sorry, back to verse 12. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. They couldn't be that way in the Old Testament. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel could not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. God wants us to see his glory now. God wants you to reflect his glory. He wants everywhere you go to have that glory shining off of you to this whole world. He doesn't want to be unapproachable anymore. And next week, I'm going to tell you why got to be here the law represented a hidden god verse 14 through 16 Um, but the people's minds were hardened and to this day whenever the old covenant is being read the same veil covers their minds so they couldn't understand the truth and this veil can only be removed can be removed only by believing in christ yes even today when they read moses writings their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand but whenever someone turns to the lord The veil is removed. The law and the veil represented a hidden God. It represented bondage. We love verse 17 of this passage. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. For the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Spirit of the Lord in you, there's freedom in you. There's liberty in you. And finally, the, the, the law represented an unattainable glory. Again, verse 18 is just so awesome. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see. We can see now. And we reflect the glory of God. 
the glory of a holy and an awesome God who breathed his life into us and gave us of his spirit to fill us. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. We've died to all these things because they all represent the old way and the law. God declares that you and I are dead to the world. We're dead to sin. We're dead to the old man. We're dead to the flesh and we're dead to the law. So it's time that we stop trying to give life to them. They don't deserve it. Would you stand with me?